If you enjoy listening to Voices in Cloud, check out David Linthicum's reports on gigaohm.com. They're about data complexity and cloud solutions, addressing many of the topics covered in this podcast series. Hey guys, welcome to GigaOM Voices in Cloud podcast. This is the one place where you hear from industry thought leaders providing no nonsense advice on how to succeed with cloud computing, IoT, edge computing, and cognitive computing. I'm Linthica, best-selling author, speaker, executive, and B-list geek, and also working with GigaOM. And this week, my special guest is uh, Jeannie Moraine. Um, so she's got a pretty impressive bio. In fact, we were talking about that just before the recording as far as how to get everything in. She works on doing digital transformation cores. She reaches research and cognitive impact technology uh, to me- metacognition, where we're going to find out what that is during this podcast. Serial entrepreneur and catalyst, uh, knows how to start companies and grow companies and basically make ideas work uh, to the successful and to the investor. And author, and uh, Jeannie, I'm going to go ahead and get you on this one. How many books have you written? Uh, I've, I've written six total, but five around uh, technology. So it also has digital catalyst strategy, strategist. So tell us what that is and, and then tell us how everything kind of joins together. Everything we just read kind of links together to what your day job is and what you do actually as, as, a, as work. Absolutely. So my background actually is in something called human performance technology. And so what I specialize is in the impact of technology on uh, human performance. So on cognitive brain development, on their environmental development. So we're really looking at that user and approach. And as a result, I'm um, able to quickly hone in a lot of information from a user end piece to come up with new products, new markets, um, write books by identifying problems, and then working with uh, both the trailers and the leaders on identifying what works, what doesn't work, and and how to solve it is the net net of it. And then I work with um, startups. I've, I've done several startups myself, but also work as an advisor to several startups and even larger companies to come up with, you know, uh, what are some of the gaps in their thinking as far as in the people process and technology and how to bring that to, you know, to light in mar- to market, not just with analysts, but from the user in approach versus the company out. So where does your passion lie in all this? What do you really like doing now? I love solving problems for people and really kind of understanding the root cause as to what is causing a, a failure, whether it's a systemic failure, like digital transformation, the $900 billion uh, that different companies have posted in failures, or um, a smaller failure. Maybe uh, one of my favorite examples was I had a customer that was having an issue because they had to edit their SQL file before they could run it. And this was costing them about four hours a day because every time they wanted to just run it to test it, they had to open it up, edit it, and then run it first, right? So they couldn't just test it. And so I brought the developers on site because they kept telling the customer that they they didn't understand that it was fine. And then once they realized that it was costing this poor guy four hours a day of having to edit to open just to test the, uh, the SQL statements, and they realized that we had a problem, right? So it's really kind of identifying problems that really impact on people's performance in general. So a couple of key topics um, that I like to discuss. And first, uh, I'm not smart enough to recommend this. Uh, Jeannie did this, but cross-section between business and technology and how it's lost in translation. I found that fascinating. You know, ultimately the ability to kind of um, 
you know, bridge the gap between the business who really should set the direction for how the enterprise is moving and the digital transformers or digital enablers or you know, builders, architects, all the things that build IT. So that's a big problem for me. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how I solve it. And it's ironically has been a big problem for a long time. So realistically, what we have going on is the business speaks the business language. So they understand spreadsheets. They understand market data analysis, market reports. Uh, they understand the business that they're in. And then the technology uh, team speaks the technology language. So it's almost like someone speaking Spanish and English. And you need someone in between that can speak Spanglish. And we first tried to solve this with business service management back in 2002, a little company called Marimba. We were acquired by BMC for this, this whole process piece, but we never really solved it because the business part of it was cut out and they really just decided to focus on IT because that's what everyone understood or knew about. But the issue is the business has been left out. So I can say personally, having been on the business side uh, for decades in IT, not just in IT, but you know, selling products into IT and then also working as a leader in IT, the biggest aha moment for me is when I was trying to get the businesses, um, you know, their, you know, basically their visualization or their you know, identification of different things and they weren't listening to me, right? I could not get their ear no matter how hard I was trying. And I realized it was because, you know, all those years that I'd been in the business, I never once went to IT to ask for permission on what to do with my budget. I never once went to IT when I was running development teams to ask what to build or what would work or not work. I would work with the customers. And I think more often than not, we all make that same mistake. We leave out the business, but then we forget now more than ever, the business is the new buyer. So shadow IT doesn't exist. The business is just going to a different service broker because they're not getting what they need from IT because IT is speaking a different language and they don't understand that language is, is part of the, the major issue that's going on right now. So this has been something that's been growing for years and years and years. And I have noticed ever since we've kind of moved into the cloud era um, and building things at kind of at the speed of need, um, that there seems to be a decoupling between the businesses and how we build and deploy technologies. Uh, in many instances, people are failing, not because they built something that wasn't optimized and wasn't leveraging the best technology and everything's, you know, cloud-driven, hype-driven, serverless, you know, buzzword compliant. Um, but they failed to gather the needs of the business in such a way that they can build these systemic solutions to solve these issues. Are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. And it's, it's bigger than that in the sense that it's the political foray that, I believe is at the root cause of why many business service management implementations failed and why now many cloud-based implementations are failing. So what I've seen firsthand having led a 200 plus million dollar initiative around digital transformation for a large company in Arizona is that um, there was a lot of miscommunication that led to the failure. And this was also identified by the root cause of the failure for many companies like GE, P&G, and others that were identified by CNN uh, for digital transformation failures. So it's not uncommon, right? So there's a big difference between what the business understanding of what they need is versus IT's translation of what that understanding or need is. And so as a result, um, they often miss uh, their, their 
overstated benefits and they understate the costs because they don't think about different costs like, for example, you know, the data's got to get to the cloud somehow, right? And so there's that lack of understanding on both sides that create these enormous uh, systemic failures within organizations that, frankly, there is no such thing as too big to fail anymore. No, there's not. So is the answer to hire people like you that are hybrid thinkers or build hybrid thinkers within the organization? So what, what steps would you recommend that we, you know, start to narrow the gap between IT and the business? Well, there's a few things that can be done. Um, first and foremost, uh, we, you know, I talk about this in my, my last book, uh, I Speak Cloud Embracing Digital Transformation, is really kind of creating that, you know, command and control center, so that SWAT team but making sure that everyone has a seat at the table. So too often than not, it's the technology table or the business table, and maybe a technology leader is invited to the business table, but they're not necessarily sharing information the way that they should or that they need to. The, the second one is like when they're looking at their overall roadmap to cloud, there's all these things that, that could be possible. Like I remember when I was in that role, I literally had 150 VPs you know, within the organization pitching different business cases to me wanting a piece or a slice of the budget. And the, the issue that came into play was oftentimes some of those pieces weren't needed, but they were convinced by someone who wasn't technical or didn't understand the technology, frankly, um, that they needed it, right? And so it was this big, you know, education that needed to happen. So you do what I call the uh, calibrating, you know, vision to reality. So understanding, you know, if the juice is worth the squeeze. You know, does it really make sense to do that implementation piece? And then you plan your roadmap and you do, you know, low-hanging fruit. You test it out on a smaller piece, not a big initiative, and then see what works. And then you, you know, quickly ramp up the other components. And, and the other big one is not just hiring someone like myself, but trusting the people that you have internally that know how the business runs, that understand your company the industry that you're in. So both on the tech and the business side, those gurus that have been around for a while that know that when you poke one area, where is it going to push out on the other end? And that know your customers is a, a critical success factor. Um, some of my favorite examples would be like the NFL. So we just had the Super Bowl this last weekend. And for all you Chiefs fans, congratulations. I was a 49er fan, but uh, you know, that's, that, that is, you know, you win some, lose some. But the, the point being is if you think about what it takes for the NFL to pull off the Super Bowl, it's incredible. But they are what I would consider one of the success stories of digital transformation that we don't hear about. So they were one of the interviews for my book, Aaron Amendola. And what they've done is they've taken their best and brightest and, you know, pulled them out of being those chief firefighters and made them the chief strategist working together on the business and the technology side and looking at the strategy and the plan and creating that command and control center. And it has made the difference, at least for them, in success or not success. And I can give you other examples like the Gavilan Group and, and you know, Expedia, different companies that have really taken a different approach to digital transformation and it's paid off for them as a result. Yeah, I think people need to, you know, take that to heart. I mean, these things exist in almost every organization that I work with and your ability to kind of step this forward and solve this issue because it is a systemic issue and it's hard to solve uh, is going to be uh, effort well spent. So speaking of spending, um, we have some uh, 
differences in what people expected cloud would bring in terms of value and cost savings and what it is actually bringing. So visibility concerns over cloud is basically causing us to underestimate cost and overstating benefits. And therefore, we're finding that it's impossible to figure out where the ROI is. And so what do we do differently? I'm noticing this as well. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, um, to defend myself, I was always looking at the real value of cloud and I, I did say it was overstated initially and I got a lot of grief about that. But now it's really kind of coming true. Not that I wanted it to come true, but we have to either get better at predicting what the cost and the value of cloud can be or better at reducing the cost and increasing the value. What's your take on this? Well, this is an area that, frankly, we need a lot of work because, one, how can you predict, plan, or do anything with what you can't see? So there's a huge systemic visibility issue for the true cost of cloud and the true cost of these systems. And it, a lot of cleanup work needs to happen both from the enterprise side as well as the vendor side. So from the enterprise side of looking at how they do projects, right? So they have the KTBR, keep the business running or keep the lights on. So when they're calculating these implementations or these new initiatives from vendors, they're not calculating in things like what is the impact to my infrastructure, to my routers, switches, hubs, what kind of hardening needs to happen because guess what? That data has got to get to the cloud somewhere. So then all of a sudden they get shocked or surprised by huge ISP costs because they are trying to pull the data somewhere. Um, looking at things like design or architectural issues from laws of proximity and surroundness. Like if you have, for example, 50,000 users in a centralized call center, that's not necessarily an application I would throw on the cloud. It's one that would be best served on premise. So really understanding based on the user, the content, the context, what it is that they're trying to do, where their customers are located, um, how do they best design applications and or services that work in a hybrid-based environment. And this is something I've been writing about since 2011 because it has been extremely frustrating to watch over and over again customers failing. In fact, that's a big reason why I went and joined a customer just to see what we were missing or what we weren't quite getting right because everything from the beginning was if you're going to build private, build private with hybrid in mind. So there is no such thing as, as all cloud or all private. There's always going to be some combination in between. Um, the, the other big issue for calculating cost is understanding the hybrid hydra of application connections that happen. So more often than not, people, it's like they're going to the refrigerator and they're not opening it up before they're going to the store and they're buying groceries, right? So they're just either moving the whole thing over without cleaning house first to seeing what's used, what's not used, or um, they're they're not doing anything for afraid that if they do move it, that they're going to break something. So it's really that, that hybrid application dependency mapping is a critical success factor in understanding the true cost of cloud and whether it should be there or shouldn't be there. And then another big one that comes into play that I've seen more often than not, in fact, I was just talking to a um, large uh, bank in, in this area where they had 81 tunnels that they didn't understand who belonged to. And so they shut them down and then found out that 22 of them were still good, but 59, they were glad that they shut them down. So you have to have an end of life strategy and you have to have the ability to make bold moves so that you're not continuing to support all the legacy systems and the legacy solutions in perpetuity because you've had people leave. And you've had uh, issues with, you know, not only attrition, but also, you know, people with moving to different organizations and not understanding what these fragile systems 
you know, what the system's calls are or what the changes in licensing posture is, right? So there's a lot that needs to be cleaned up around costs. So it's understanding, though, that what I call the three areas of cost compliance and agility. So what those three factors are, and from an executive perspective, putting guardrails in place or guidance so that when people at the lower levels are trying to make a call, they can do it with a little bit more confidence. I think too many people are afraid to pull the trigger because they don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. So how do we measure the value of agility? You know, that keeps coming up. And to be honest with you, I tried to do it back in the, you know, 15, 20 years ago, back in the SOA days and, you know, putting up algorithms in terms of the ability for a company to change and the value of change, the value of speed to market and things like that. But it, it, it falls short. We have the hard cost savings that cloud it can bring. It does not bring always to your point you're making which is efficiency and the ability to move away from hardware and software cycles, the ability to you know, tie it into a DevOps infrastructure, things like that. But then we have the agility aspect of it, which is really why people should move to cloud in the first place. I always say, you know, go to cloud for the cost savings if you must, but you're probably gonna stay for the agility. I think that reality is they don't see the cost savings to the degree in which they were promised, but they do see the value of agility once they get several systems in the cloud and they understand how they can speed to change, speed to provision, you know, all these things they didn't have in the past. How do we measure that? Well, that, that's an easier one, although it seems really complicated. It should be done, and that's where you, you have an Agile BRD. One of my biggest angst that I've seen is Agile was never intended to get rid of things like business requirements documents and business plans and market plans. What it was meant to do is to get rid of the 200 page theses or dissertations and cut it down to something that's more digestible. So you're building a framework for the house and then you can decide, okay, what color walls, tile, flooring, whatever do I need to have on there? And so I think part of the biggest um, angst that I've seen is a lot of the implementations with Agile, frankly, are incorrect. So they look at the Fibonacci scale or they look at, you know, different, you know, scales that they could use. And then they don't measure or look to measure what the impact is on the business or work closely with their business counterpart to see how it intersects with the business case so that they can improve the time to value. And in some cases, actually, I've seen um, executives you know, hire different auditors to basically prove the opposite, that Agile was actually, uh, you know, basically increasing time to value because of some of the confusion of not understanding what size house they were building or having to rebuild or compliance issues and things like that. So I think it's important that when you talk about how do you measure it, that you measure it in terms of what does that solution or product, um, what is the market value of that component and then what is the the market value of being a leader or not or a trailer frankly in that area and what does it mean to you and so sometimes it makes total sense to take it to the cloud for agility in, in different areas other times frankly it does not and so it's having someone that has the business acumen as well as the technology acumen to understand that you know fast good cheap pick two frankly and understand what that means though when you do do that and what the cost implications are going to be and what the company is able to digest. Because I've, I've seen both sides. Like I've seen cases where people have thrown hundreds of millions of dollars onto what they think is going to give them the market advantage to only have it fail and flail because they didn't think it through and realize that they needed a, you know, a foundation for a two-story house, but they had basically built the frame for a A-frame, right? 
So it's, yeah, it's really looking at that bigger picture. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. And these companies are exposed now too. I think they're, you know, at the you know point of being disrupted. I mean, whether it's healthcare providers, we always have the, you know, the example of resource out there, the taxi system versus Uber and, and uh, you know, Blockbuster versus Netflix. And we kind of get that. But the reality is we're dealing with companies that have been around for hundreds of years that are going to be disrupted by companies that have been around for hundreds of months um, because they're able to weaponize technology and leverage that kind of as a force multiplier to get into a business and disrupt the business. I mean, obviously, you know, Amazon is a key is a key example in the in the retail space, but we're seeing healthcare insurance, you know, health insurance disrupted. We're seeing auto insurance disrupted. We're seeing all these things that really were more traditional businesses that are going to not just perhaps the best company that's out there, but the company that's able to take technology and leverage it to, in essence, create a market. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think you're spot on with one key factor that many of these organizations have, which is a, a just relentless customer focus. So for example, WellCare was featured in Fortune Magazine this week in their AI issue about how um, they're changing the face of you know, healthcare and that they've increased profits by 58%, and they've really kind of you know, grew their membership and everything else, but how they did it was reaching down into the community and working with these smaller organizations to help build a better framework by taking a customer and approach. And that goes back you know, to, to my background in human performance technology. When people ask me like, whether it was business service management or universal clients or licensing as a service or some of these different industries that I not only helped create the number one product for, or number two, in some cases, like VMware with Universal um, Client, Google BDI, but, um, but really helped kind of create a new market. What it was really based on was listening to customers and understanding the new generation of users, because there's always going to have to be that balance, the yin and yang between the current generation and the up and coming generation and understanding the impact that they're going to have and how it could disrupt an industry if you're not careful. But more importantly, harnessing that generation with and balancing them with the older generation to get them to work together. Because at the end of the day, no matter how much technology you throw at it, it's always going to be a people issue. And you can't, um, you can't turn around a, you know, a, a ship, a cruise liner, as fast as you can a race car, right? So you really got to think about what industry do you want to be in and how, what's, what's a fair assessment or comparison so that you can be competitive. And um, I'll give you another example. So there's different movie chains. So Fat Cats came out with these recliner seats, you know, bar, you know, so more upscale type service. And people were willing to pay for that. And then Harkins comes along and they decide, you know what, we could do the same thing. We could do the same thing, but we're going to add childcare to our facility. And we're going to add different things that will appeal not only to the older generation with the bar and the recliner seats, but also to young parents that uh, don't necessarily want to hire a babysitter for their children and, you know, in their house and have to worry about that. So they're right there contained in the same facility. So there are ways that the older institutionalized organizations can change if they embrace the fact that, that they embrace the cross generational uh, components and really look at who's my target customer, how well do I know them, and how well do I continue to know them so that I'm not disrupted. 
Yeah, great advice. We'll leave it. At, we'll leave it there. So, where, Jeannie, where can we find uh, more about you on the web? Our listeners, where they where can they go? Absolutely. So, I have my channel. Um, I have my own channel on Bright Talk. I speak cloud, and we do a monthly uh, webinar podcast on different topics from DevOps to cloud to digital transformation, and to looking at the business side of digital transformation as well. And then I also have um, my books are for sale on Amazon.com. Wow. Well, guys, make sure you open up your phones and uh, make sure you're following, follow Jeannie uh, and everything she does. Because I'll tell you, this uh, one smart lady, and I love having the conversation with you. I hope to get you again, get you back on the podcast real soon. How about it, Jeannie? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, David. As always, it's a pleasure. And you know, I've admired your work uh, for for years. So I more than happy to work with you anytime. Shucks. <laughs> Please pick up a copy of my book, Cloud Computing and Soa Conversions, available on Amazon and other places books for so. Also, please make sure to follow me on Twitter at, at David Linticum, L-I-N-T-H-I-C-U-M, as well as LinkedIn, where I have several cloud computing courses on LinkedIn learning, including cloud complexity management, some AI courses that I just stuck out there about a month ago. So until next time, best of luck in building your cloud computing solutions. We'll talk to you in about a week. Take good care. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Cloud, please check out the other ones. Removing hybrid and multi-cloud complexity is the focus of a report that David wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about taking IT to the next level, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.